0: You are listening to a sermon from the Mulvane Church of Christ in Mulvane, Kansas. Subscribe in your favorite podcatching app or find and listen to any sermon online at malvanechurchcom slash sermons. Today we're going to be looking at a story from Luke chapter 12. We're going to take a few minutes to get there, but we're going to look at a story about things and stuff and all kinds of objects, we live in a society awash with things and stuff and objects. Our capitalist society, uh, running largely unfettered now for three centuries, has produced the most materially successful culture by far in the history of mankind no contest at all it's an unimaginable distance uh, to the second most successful material culture and that doesn't mean we're both the most successful culture ever yeah, there are other values and virtues besides stuff our capitalist economy is not good at counting those or accounting for those things like truth and fairness and virtue and loyalty and family and tradition and stability Uh, those, Those are not counted well on the ledger sheet. But when it comes to material culture, and so often material culture does have with it some of those things of which we otherwise value as well, we have been unbelievably successful. And so today I have two parts of this sermon. There's the fact part, and there is the story part. And I thought about doing the story part first and then using the fact part as application. But I think instead, we're going to do a quick review of the fact part, of which all of these things you will know. And then we'll move on to the story where Jesus shows us that this really is the right way and the proper estimation of things. And so if we think about a biblical view of material things, how does the Bible tell us to use uh, material things and to obtain material things, uh, the Bible would tell us to obtain them honestly uh, and use them rightly. So honest, honest uh, uh, obtaining and rightful using. There, there's a lot of ways to obtain that's not right. Ephesians four twenty eight. Let whom who steals steal no longer. Well, that's the you know no down payment, no installment, no nothing plan. Just take it and it's yours some live by that plan, usually not a long-term success. Instead it says, rather let him labor, performing with his own hands what is good, in order that he might have something to share with him who's in need. we will put a pin in that last part, we'll come back quickly to it. Deuteronomy 8, uh, this, as the children of Israel were about to go into the promised land, remember the Lord your God, for it is he who is giving you the power to make wealth that he might confirm his covenant which he made to your fathers. You know, Abraham, his great blessing. Abraham had to be one of the richest men in the world in his day. That was part of his faithfulness to God that God (coughs) so greatly and regularly blessed him. And not just Abraham, uh, but David, Job, other men. Material success went with their faithfulness. And God often does give wealth as a blessing. And from the Proverbs, Wealth obtained by fraud dwindles, but the one who gathers by labor increases it. And another Proverb, Proverb 10, verse 4 and 5, Poor is he who works with a negligent hand, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. He who gathers in summer is a son who acts wisely. But he who sleeps in harvest is a son who acts shamefully. So go to work, especially when it's time to work. And so, do it honestly. Do it thoughtfully. Do it in uh, faith toward God. With that, provide for your family. And provide for your future. 2 Corinthians 12. Paul said, this is the third time I'm coming to you. To the brethren there, I won't be a burden to you. I do not seek what is yours but you. Paul says, I'm going to come, but I'm not coming to make money. For some preachers, that'd be the end of the ministry right there. That'd be the end of the book tour. That'd be the end of the speaking tour. What do you mean I'm not making money? No, Paul said, I'm not coming for your stuff. I'm really concerned about you. He said, here's a principle. For children are not responsible to save up for the parents, but parents for the children. And so the parents take care of the kids. Now, there'll be a time when that reverses. At the end of life, 1 Timothy 5, verse 8. But if anyone does not provide for his own, especially those of his own household, he's denied the faith. He's worse than an unbeliever. And so provide for your house. There's a time when you need to be the provider uh, first for yourself and then for your children and then for your parents. Hopefully, if you raise everybody well, you have enough savings to make through life. And if you don't, well, then it's your children's turn, time to make a return. But we're providing and we're thinking that there's going to be another day after this, right? Proverbs 6, go to the ant, O sluggard, observe her ways and be wise. Which, having no chief officer or ruler, prepares her food in summer and gathers her provision in the harvest. And so just look at those in nature that season after season are there look at the ant you know one thing about ants uh i I don't know if because i don't take a census and i don't know all the ants by name i'm not sure if it's the same ants year after year but it's the same ant bed right why is that same ant bed there year after year after year i remember when i was a kid in oklahoma some of those big red ants we had back then they'd have nests that went six eight ten feet across great fun to pour gas down them yeah or take a shovel from one and put it, in, put it in another. Okay, I was from Oklahoma in the 70s. We didn't have a lot to do. But those those ant beds are there because the prior ants provided. And as we said, from Ephesians four, twenty eight, 28, uh, you do this so you might have something for the one who has need. There are always people in need. Uh, Jesus said, the poor you'll have with you always famously in the gospel of john that, that wasn't saying it's okay uh, that, what that was saying was there's unlimited opportunities for, for good in that realm and so don't today you need to worry about me uh, but you can do that tomorrow because tomorrow we can do good for the poor and the day after there'll always be there but that is still our responsibility even though it's ongoing or through the collection for the saints 1st corinthians 16 it's also 2nd corinthians 8 and 9 it's also in romans 15 What we call the great collection, concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so also you, on the first day of the week, let everyone lay it by and store, as he may prosper, there be no collection when I come. It's a collection for saints, needy saints. There was a famine going on, it was going to be a long-term deal, long enough for Paul to go around to a number of places, collect money, then get on a boat, take a full season of travel to get back to jerusalem those poor would still be there and so here's our good use of things honest right providing for ourselves our family our future giving to those who have need that's the right use second half of the fact review misusing things misusing things of this world there's an excessive seeking there's a seeking that places too much emphasis on these things. Those 1 Timothy six nine Who want to get rich. Not that who get rich. But want to get rich. That's what they set their heart on. They fall into many temptations. And a snare. Many foolish and harmful desires. Which plunge men to ruin and destruction. The Proverbs has this. As a balance. In this thing. Proverb 28.20. A faithful man will abound with blessings. But he who makes haste. To be rich will not go unpunished. The quickest thing about a get-rich-quick scheme is it's a lose-your-money-quicker scheme, right? That's, I think that's part of the natural punishment of it. Sometimes it's just sealed off at that. You just lost what you lost. But sometimes people set their heart on these things. It destroys them. So an excessive seeking, a seeking without thought of God, and very much to be said on this, but it'll be part of our story here in just a moment. Isaiah 55, 2. Why do you spend money for that which is not bread? And your wages for that which does not satisfy? Listen to me and eat what is good and delight yourself with abundance. If you listen to God, you'll get plenty of the good. But if you seek these things without God, you'll spend all your money and have no satisfaction. Some people do seek these things thinking they are true satisfaction and true security, that this will, this will secure them in life, but it's not what secures them. In Colossians 3, we find out about greed, it amounts to idolatry. And one thing we know about idolatry is idolatry is consumptive. It consumes everything around it. Eventually, it consumes entirely the worshiper as well. Hebrews 13, verse 5, Let your character be free of the love of money. And be content with what you have. And then it says. "Is a reason. Quoting the Psalms. For he himself has said. I'll never desert you. And I will not forsake you. So we may confidently say. The Lord is my helper. I'll not be afraid. What shall man. Do to me. I always find it interesting. That, to hear. The cure for the love of money. The cure for greed is faith. The cure for greed is not having. Because you'll always want More. And also, it reveals why greed is idolatry. Because greed is trying to answer a need in the heart that's only met in God. That God is our helper. God is our security. God is the one in whom we find rest. God is the one in whom we find satisfaction and hope. And you just can't have enough money in the bank to really give you satisfaction, rest, and hope in this world. As a matter of fact, at some point, the amount of money you have in the bank in your old age kind of flips that. And the more money you have in the bank in your old age, the worse it gets. Because what does everybody around you want? To help you and love you and take care of you kindly. No, they they want your stuff. And so sometimes the very wealthiest have the least security in their old age. It says in the Psalms, if riches increase, don't set your heart on them. Set your heart on the Lord. And so that's a misuse to set your heart on these things of wealth. And the last of our little quick factor don't lay up treasures on earth alone. Jesus says this exact thing, Matthew 6, Sermon on the Mountain. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy. And where thieves break in and steal. And that's not even talking about the kids and the other nieces and nephews and all the grands and great-grands and nephews and nieces from all over who want to come and chew it up. But what do we find? uh, Moth, rust, thieves. Instead, lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart. Be also. So there's our quick review of the facts. We have the use of material things. Do it honestly. Do it rightly. Do it for your family and your future. And do it with generosity for the needy. And the misuse of material things excessively seeking, not thinking about God, thinking that this is the meaning and substance of life and this will give you what you want in life, and laying up treasures on earth alone. Well, now let's go to the story. In the story, we're going to go to Luke 12. And what we're going to find is just an amazing uh, set of teachings by our Lord. He is going to teach, Jesus will, about some of the most meaningful things uh, that we should really contemplate and meditate on and take deeply to heart. He's going to talk about hypocrisy in life and avoiding that. He's going to talk about death and salvation. He's going to talk about the Holy Spirit. And think about all the the hours of profitable study and meditation we might have on these topics. So Luke chapter 12, here's our story. Under these circumstances, after so many thousands of the multitude had gathered together, that they were stepping on one another. Picture that scene. You, you, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, there's no place to sit. In this place, there's no place to stand. You know, they're standing on each other's feet. They're all packed in so close. He began to, hit, to say to his disciples, first of all, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Oh, what's that? Oh, which is hypocrisy. But there is nothing covered up that will not be revealed and hidden. That will not be known. Accordingly, whatever you said in the dark shall be heard in the light. Especially if you put it on Facebook or Instagram. Come on. The things that people, it comes out about people, it turns out so many times they say it about themselves. Or so many times we find out later about a person, we find People report and find out it was well known uh, among their friends and family that they were doing this or that. And sometimes we hear those reports and go, yeah, you know, I thought there was a little something off about that guy. And other times we're totally shocked. I would have never believed it. But how many times do things come out which are revealing later uh, things that shine a light on what used to be or shine a light on things that were not known at all? Well, no. If it's hidden, it'll be revealed. It'll be known. Accordingly, verse 3, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light. And what you've whispered in the inner rooms shall be proclaimed among the housetops. Jesus said, don't be a hypocrite. Don't try to be a person in private and with a few. Don't be among your family what you're not in public. Don't be with your friends what you're not with your enemies. Don't be among your inner circle what you wouldn't be with everybody. Be the same authentic person all the time. Be a good person when you don't think anybody sees. Be, be honest and upright when you don't think it really matters or you think you can get away with it. And so Jesus talks about hypocrisy. And we think about the great amount of meditation, the great amount of, of thought that we might put there. And wouldn't it be good to we all just spend some time thinking about that? And then he moves on. Verse four, "And I say to you, my friends, don't be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that have no more they can do. But I warn you whom to fear. Fear the one whom, after he's killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Whoa. Well, let's think about that. Who's the one who has authority to cast to hell? God's the one who does the ultimate sentencing, right? It could certainly be Him. We think about others who might uh, uh, cause us to stumble and fall and go to hell. And we think about, well, maybe we need to you know, uh, be fearful of them, but in a different way. Of God, we're fear, fearful in a sense of awe and respect. Of those uh, who would trip us up and those who would try to do things that would cause us to fall into that condemnation. Maybe we should fear them in a different way dread to be around them or, or loathing the kind of loathsome fear and so there's some a loathsome fear a dread fear a, 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 a sense of dread to be around and another fear that is respectful and fear that is holy and fear that leads to not wanting to disappoint or cross him and so Jesus tells us about this about salvation and death And about condemnation. And on that. uh, There should be some meditation. Maybe not quite the. uh, Hopeful and and joyful and encouraging. Meditation of other promises. But serious and sober reflection. Upon this. But now comes the encouragement. Are not five sparrows sold for two cents? In Matthew's gospel. It tells us that. Asperger's are sold two for a penny. Here we find out there's two for five. So even in the ancient world, you get a volume discount. You uh, get uh, uh, two for one, or you get five for two. So you get, you get a bonus one thrown in. And that's how cheap these birds are. If you buy four, they'll just throw an extra one in. Uh, what, what are these birds worth? Not so very much. But the Father knows all about them. I remember at one point in my life, my grandfather, he got into breeding birds. He had parakeets and he had finches. And he had some other little kind of thing. I can't remember. And uh, he picked up on the cheap. He picked up on the cheap this um, uh, single wide uh, mobile home. So whatever those are, it was 80 feet long. And were they 12, 10 wide or 12 wide? A long, long thing, 80 foot long. Had, had a small fire. It was enough to total the, the thing. My grandpa got it real cheap. He set it up in his side yard because he lives outside the city limits. There ain't no zoning there. And it's in Oklahoma. Do what you want to do. So off in the side yard, he's got an extra mobile home. And a, he makes the whole thing into a birdhouse. And he's got it full of these little birds he's breeding and selling. And then he has a fire and hell all die smoke inhalation. Shoveling birds out. He builds it back. It's an Oklahoma story, through and through, folks, I guarantee. He built it back. He's got more birds in there. Thing catches fire a third time. This this trailer house is cursed. Volunteer fire department, again, he's outside the city limits. Small little little country town in Oklahoma. Only thing left now is a little bit plus those two big rails, those two big I-beams that the thing sits on. Those are now my uncle's carport because he lifted them up by himself. Just some cribbing and a come along. He lifts two 80-foot beams in the air. He's got an 80-foot wide carport. But this isn't about his long. He wanted there's no span. No, he wanted no single support. So it's one span. He can park all kinds of cars that don't run under there. But both times this thing is made into a birdhouse, and both times it burns as a birdhouse, how many hundreds? If the second time, maybe not over a thousand birds die. He had a lot of birds in there. Barely makes the paper, right? Fire over at Carl's house. But imagine if it had been a thousand people, right? So, what are these birds worth? What are these birds worth? First of them die in smoke inhalation, the second ones all get incinerated. What do you do? Shovel. They're just birds. That's the point of the story, by the way, not my redneck relatives. But what are the birds worth? God knows what the birds are worth. Not one of them is forgotten before God. I have not a clue as to how many of those birds were. And I don't even know the, second, or the third variety of birds. But you know who knows how many birds there were? If he knows every star by name, does, did the Lord know all those birds by name? He might well have. He knows them all. And so if he knows all those birds, of which not even my grandpa, who was the one making money off them, knows, what should you realize before God? Indeed, the very hairs of your head are numbered. Don't fear. You're of more value than the sparrows. Many sparrows. Well, I'd hope so. You know, if one person would have died there versus if it had been thousands or tens of thousands of finches and parakeets, what would he have concentrated on? How many birds would have had to die for there was a funeral? Well, it wouldn't have have been. But how many people would have had to die before there was a funeral? Just but one. Even if he was a scoundrel. Even if nobody liked him. Even if he was the worst guy in town. Even if he's the guy who was homeless and started the fire by accident or something. You know, or with his meth pipe. There still would have been a funeral. Because it's a person. And so it is. We should think about the value that God places on us. So much more than the value we place on each other. And so I say that everyone who confesses me before men, the Son of Man shall confess him also before the angels of God. And he who denies me before men shall be denied before the angels of God. Think about that. Think about our salvation as causing the angels to rejoice. Think about the angels being concerned to know the Lord said, this is one of mine. And what do the angels go? Oh, okay, fine. No, the angels are happy for that. The angels are on our side. They're with us. They're fellow servants of the Father. Think about that. And verse 10: Everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, it'll not be forgiven. All right. Now, we've got one of those unforgivable sin passages. Comes up a couple of times in the gospel. How much time should we think about that? Man, whatever that is. And can you tell me what the sin against the Holy Spirit is there? I got about 12 theories. And if I got all the commentaries together in my office, I'd have a lot more than that. But only about 10 or 12 I can remember. And if you could tell me what that is, so I would not do it, it would be helpful. And i got to tell you not to do that. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Don't do this, because here's a way to step outside the amazing forgiveness offered by God through Jesus Christ. Well, how many people have thought, how many hours, and contemplated how long about that. And we probably should. And we go on. Verse 11. And when they were bringing you, or they'll bring you before synagogues and rulers and authorities, do not be anxious about what you will speak in your defense or what you'll say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. So here's the promise of the help of the Spirit. I know in the book of Acts we see this being played out in Acts 4. In Acts 7, in Acts 13, and other places. And so the Holy Spirit's help. Think about the the good pondering uh, we could do on that and how the Spirit helps us at various times. And maybe we're not in exactly that situation, but there might be some parallel way in which He helps us. So, how many things are there in these first 12 verses of this 12th chapter of which some thoughtful and hopeful meditation? should still be spent. And uh, others a sober reflection and serious warning of lessons of eternal importance are, are here laid out before us. And then remember, what's the preacher talking about today? Stuff. Material objects. How do we get there from here? We get there because On this occasion, with these topics in the air, with people stepping on each other, trying to hear what Jesus says about these and whatever else Jesus decides to reveal that day, some joker in the crowd takes it upon himself to call attention to the fact that he thinks his brother's stiffing him. Well, thank you for that, brother. Prayerfully and thoughtfully give that all the time and attention it deserves. Okay, next. No, Jesus Jesus takes time to instruct him. He says, calling out from the crowd Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. I got to say, of all the things that have been discussed so far in this chapter, we still think about and, and write about every one of these. And we ponder them deeply. But the one thing we don't consider is, how much do you think this guy should have got of the estate? We don't ever think about that, do we? What's the only thing he's thinking about? How much should I get from the estate? What's the one thing we never think about from this text? We never worry about that, do we? Because we don't know what estate it is. We don't know who this guy is. He may have already got his fair share. His brother may have stripped him 10%. His brother may have been terrible. We don't know. These guys are long dead and gone. The whole society and culture in which uh, they had whatever estate it was that was there, that is gone, right? We don't care. And so it is about so many depressing things that even in our life, by now our own estimation, of which we spent so much time and energy, at one point in our life, we don't even care anymore. One of the most boring things can happen sometimes in your life is some guy who's known you forever goes, hey, remember back in 06, and now we've lived long enough that there's been an 06 again. Hey, remember back in 06 when you said this? No, I don't remember that, and I don't care. Or remember this that that happened, that you know, you missed this thing? Remember that time that this thing happened at church? No, I wasn't there. I was getting some overtime. Maybe that doesn't matter anymore either. There are so many things. That with the passage of a little time, much less the passage of a lot of time, they no longer matter. But the things of which Jesus said, if you're a young man in your teenage years, reading the scriptures through and the gospels the first time with some understanding at all, and you run across these passages, and you're going to ponder and go, man, what was Jesus saying? And then your middle-aged self runs through the same set of passages. And then I presume at some point, your old age self runs through these same passages. And there's still much to ponder there is still much to learn. There's still much to get out of it. But some of these other pursuits, of which we'll ignore the spiritual for, there's nothing but a temporary profit at best in these things. And so this is what this man decides to interrupt the conversation for. The conversation about the Holy Spirit and persecution, a conversation about uh, salvation A conversation about hypocrisy from our Lord. Because on every one of those things in the first part of Luke 12, don't we wish we had five more words or ten more sentences from Jesus about them? We really do. But how many more words do we need about this guy and his money problems? We don't want no more. Yet we still make the same mistake ourselves. I think maybe that's why Jesus decides to deal with it. And so he interrupted Jesus. And Jesus tells him, I refuse to help you in your selfishness. But he said to a man, Who appointed me a judge or arbiter over you? It's not his fight. He's, he's going to avoid this thing. He is the Lord of all the universe, right? Everything is his, everything will be judged by his. How these brothers actually divide up this inheritance, this might become a matter of judgment. Yet and still, in his earthly capacity, coming to teach and save the lost, Jesus says, I'm not getting involved. Now, Jesus will give principles about generosity, about justice, about fair treatment, uh, in, in Sermon on the Mount and in other places, but he doesn't enforce them with anything other than you implementing them in love. If you love me, keep my commandments. That's the enforcement provision of Jesus' instruction. If you love me, keep my commandments. He doesn't force any, either of these guys to do anything. And so it is sometimes today even. Uh, people will sometimes call on the preacher uh, to assist them in, in their own selfish things. Uh, I've been called in. I uh, one time was told, hey, Brother So-and-so wants to study with you on this topic about the Bible. I was there about five minutes I figured out, oh, this guy does not want to study anything about the Bible on this topic at all. His wife wants me to go talk to him so that I'll straighten him up from her point of view. And I actually asked the guy after a few minutes, I said, "Um, did you ask me to come over here and talk about this? He said, no, I didn't. I said, I didn't think so. I said, if you ever want to talk about him, let me know. It's One of the shorter Bible studies I've had. It's One of the few times where I closed the Bible before the, the other person did. No, he didn't want to talk about that. And I, I just been, somebody played sick the preacher on the poor guy. And there's been other times where people have asked me to get involved in things or said things because they think, you know, my religious authority will help them get what they selfishly want. And maybe what they wanted was good or maybe it wasn't. But Jesus isn't going to get involved in this. And, and that is not the point. So again, the spiritual inform, enforcement mechanism is, if you love me, you keep my Commandments. And then he says in verse 15, why don't we think about things that are more important? Verse 15, he said to them, Beware, just like he'd earlier said, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Here now he says, Beware and be on guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. Well, I'm sure if this brother would have got everything he wanted from his other brother, he would have been happy for a bit might have destroyed the family. Family relationships may have already been destroyed. But what would that have helped him with anything about what Jesus had just said about salvation and judgment? Not at all. And so greed caused this brother to interrupt Jesus and say, tell him to divide. Tell him to give. The other probably in greed, I don't know, this may be a bad presumption, But maybe this guy had some kind of case. Maybe his brother in his greed said, no, I won't. But Jesus said, everybody, that would cover both of these brothers, and everybody stepping on each other to get close to him to hear. every one of you be on guard against greed. And that's, you know, this is one of those times, and sometimes you like to picture yourself in the Scripture, Ah, that's, you know, that's me or this applies to, well, when Jesus said to every one of you, hey, you're here too. I'm here too. Do I guard against every kind of greed? Can I ask myself, am I perhaps a greedy individual? And how would I answer for myself? You could answer for me if you'd like. I don't know if I'd pay any attention. I might answer for you if you'd like or don't like. it. Well, that might, you might not pay any attention to that either. But we really have to ask in our own hearts, not about each other. But we have to ask about ourselves. Am I, perhaps, a greedy individual? Do I experience joy in giving? Do do I do, like Ephesians 4.28 says, uh, I work with my own hands and I share with those who have need? Do I get joy in that and following that instruction? Or do other things, greed for material things, or for honor, or for prestige, or for power, or for position, or for... For honor, for pride, does that get in the way? Paul would later say, if we have food and clothing, with these we'll be content. Are we? Are we? So let, let's get back to spiritual importance. Guard against every kind of greed. And Jesus said, let me tell you a story about greed. So I've gone to the story, so now we have the story in the story. It's a parable. Now, sometimes we have stories like the Good Samaritan where it says a certain man did this or that. And I think these things probably actually happen. In this case, it's a parable. It's a parable of a certain rich man. So maybe this actually did happen to the man. But Jesus gives us as, the, as a parable, he gives us as the lesson. The man began reasoning to himself. He said, what shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? His land, it said in verse 16, was very productive. So a certain rich man, his lamb was very productive. He says to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. This is where it appears that greed is paid off. That he's looking out for himself He's in a good place to look out for himself, looking out for himself, appears to have been very successful. He thinks a lot about himself with the eight I's, the four me's, and the five my's, and you just trace those personal pronouns to that little story that Jesus tells, and you can tell his attitude is the reverse of Christianity. We're told to deny ourselves, and he has begun to indulge himself. I guess by worldly standards, his indulgence might seem kind of moderate, right? He doesn't say anything about him uh, drinking to excess or abusing his neighbors or anything like that. But just, I've got enough to be happy and content. I've got enough so that life is good. But life is never good without God. And so. In this parable of the rich fool, he didn't look beyond the world. God said to him, you fool, this very night your soul is required of you. And now who will own what you have prepared? So he looked only to this world. He never looked beyond it. He made the presumption that all of these things would mean a good and long life. But he didn't have any kind of life because his life was taken we have this proverb don't boast about tomorrow for you don't know what the day will bring proverb 27:1 or in the new testament you don't know what your life will be like tomorrow you're a vapor that appears for a little while and vanishes thinking only of the body and nothing of the soul he provided greatly for the body he provided not at all for the soul. And so he didn't prepare beyond himself. Preparing the soul always includes others. Because the great commandment is to love your Lord, the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second like unto it is what? Love your neighbor as yourself. Where was thought of neighbor? There was no more thought of neighbor than there was thought of God. Somebody could have used today that grain he planned to put in the barn For many years. Somebody needed that today. And he could have given some. He could have had plenty for himself. Still left over. Uh, There would have been no harm in him. To share. Except maybe the building would have been 80% full. Instead of 100. What are you going to do? He only thought of himself. And he did not think. Of God. And that's what greed. Ultimately. Does. And so his death came swiftly, his death came suddenly. But one thing for sure, the speed of his death didn't change the surety of his death. If he would have lived out this long life, his end would have been the same, wouldn't it? He would have had a few more good years on earth before separation from God from eternity. But what good is that? And so the Lord required his soul of him that night those things that he stored up for himself had to go to somebody else, probably some very happy heirs. Maybe if he had no heirs, maybe two grateful uh, people in the community. But at some point, in some way, all of this was divided up. And so it is about all of your stuff, the stuff that you and I work so hard to get now. Eventually, that's somebody else's stuff. And actually, more likely... When they get it, somebody else's junk. It really is. You just think about what we pay to get stuff. And man, we make all those installments, and we're so happy to have it. And then after a few years, we don't even want it. Why did we have a citywide garage sale here a couple of weeks back? Everybody can get the stuff out of their house. Why? So they get more stuff in the house. And so terribly misplaced attention we think about this guy interrupting jesus to bring up this garbage and we think what a fool and then we ignore jesus so we can do our version of it and we think oh man i'm i'm smart I, i've really got this figured out no you don't not if you don't give thought to god and so as we work give praise to god for the grace that he's given and the generosity that we've got the work to do. And as we get the produce, get it and use it and thank God for it. But also realize that these things are not just for ourselves. These things are given to us by God that we might be faithful in them and with them as we go through life. And so let's put our attention to the right place. The things of God, the things of faith, the words of Jesus. With that, we'll close. I offer the invitation to you now asking if you want to come to Jesus, if you need to confess him, him who frees us from these concerns, him who would cleanse our conscience. So we don't have to worry about these things anymore, but guilt will be given, Uh, go go, go away, relief will be given. Thank you for listening to this sermon from the Mulvane Church of Christ. Additional sermons and information available at mulvanechurch.com. Come see what a difference the Bible way makes.